Good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Jeff Wilson. I'm chairman of Wilson Asset Management. I'm chairman of WAM Leaders. Um, and thank you all for uh, joining us today. Um, this is a WAM Leaders presentation. Uh, and we're here because of yourselves, you know, being the shareholders who own the company, allowing us to do what we are very passionate about doing, uh, and that's uh, managing money on your behalf. Uh, now, we've got a great lineup. Uh, today we've got the you know, the brains behind the uh, you know, really the the performance, you know, the exceptional performance from WAM leaders uh, that, that it's given since inception. And if you look at it, um, you, you'd say, look, you, to me, for for a leader's portfolio to over the you know the, the nearly five years that it's been going, you know, to outperform the market. Um, and by the margin, it's outperformed the market. Um, you know, nearly, well, I think it's 47% above um, what the market has returned over that period of time. Um, you know, so it's, you know, the, the outperformance since inception um, is a little over 4%, um, and the market has um, you know, done in the in the high eights in terms of uh, percentage performance. Um, so you've got the you know, the team that uh, that's achieved that here today with you, uh, you know, led by Matt Helt, uh, Johnny Ayub, and, and Anna, Anna Milne, um, and uh, they they will take you through um, you know how they see the the year ahead, uh, and they'll also um, talk to you, uh, you know, give you some um, investment ideas. You know, stocks that we're very keen on um, at the moment. In terms of just looking at, you know, because we're reporting, this, you know, this is a shareholder call and it's really um, reporting to you for the six-month period, um, you know, the, the first six months of the financial year to December. Uh, you look at the, you know, the the profit that's been achieved over that period, you know, $149 million, and that's really, you know, the, the strong performance of the underlying portfolio, uh, which is uh, up a little over seventeen percent, um, and that again um, over that period outperformed the market, which was was really a, a solid um, achievement, particularly coming off the the back of last financial year, um, where the portfolio um, you know, performed exceptionally well in terms of outperforming the market. The in terms of rewarding shareholders, you know, shareholders had the opportunity to participate in the share purchase plan. Um, the latter part of last year, uh, and, and look, thank you for everyone who did participate, and, and thank you um, for that support over that period of time. It was, you know, it was finally pitched. It was, you know, we're raising the money at NTA, which we thought is the you know, we think is the right price, um, and everyone who put that money in around that, you know, just a little over that a dollar seventeen um, has um, yeah, has benefited from. You know, the performance of the underlying portfolio, um, the actual, um, you know, the the actual share price moving ahead of uh, or, or going to a slight premium to NTA. Uh, and we think that premium will only increase over time as the continued, you know, fully frank dividends um, get delivered to shareholders and also, um, you know, the, the, um, the underlying portfolio continues to perform. And, and in terms of fully frank dividends, you know, you'll see the, earlier this morning we just announced the um, – you know, we just confirmed it with the you know, the announcement of the, the details of the interim result, but we, we'd forecast 
um, the, the three and a half cent dividend, which um, that's for the half. So you'd assume uh, seven cents for the full year. So on yesterday's um, share price, it was giving you a five percent fully frank return, and that's yeah, you know, that's a lot better return than you're getting from the overall market. Remember, this is a hundred percent frank, uh, and if you if you get exposure to the overall market, I think the uh, the average uh, I think it's about seventy seven percent franked. Um, you know the, the market yield. Uh, the the actual total shareholder return over that six month period was. Uh, actually a lot better than the investment portfolio. And that's why was that was because, um, you know, Wham Leaders was trading at a discount six months ago and now it's gone to a slight premium. Um, and so, you know, shareholders got the benefit of that over that period. And the actual uh, total shareholder return over that six-month period was 32%, which is um, you know, just a very solid um, result. In terms of paying future dividends, you know, uh, our ability – to pay them is a, a function of profit we make, but also it's um, you know, it's any um, tax we pay in terms of uh, or, or dividends we receive to give us franking. So it's a combination of the profit we make and our ability to, to frank those dividends. Um, but we've got at the moment, um, you know, there's a little under 25 cents in the profit reserve. So that's three and a half years. So effectively, the, to keep the to keep paying the the same dividend as we've got at the moment, uh, assuming over the next three and a half years, um, you know that we we actually don't make any more money, um, then that dividend can be maintained at that level. And um, you know, obviously, that that's not our expectation. Um, so look, why don't I why don't I pass you on to our Matt, um, and he'll um, you know, take you through the next part of the presentation. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff, and uh, good morning to all the WAM leaders, uh, shareholders joining us on the call this morning. Um, I thought, first of all, we'll talk about the last uh, last six months or last year, and then we'll just touch on it, our thoughts for the year ahead. Um, so I guess last year could be categorised as a year of extraordinary events, uh, global pandemic uh, leading to an extraordinary economic shock, uh, and then an extraordinary response by monetary uh, and fiscal uh, policy reaction. So um, for us, we, we looked at the framework. When we look at the share market, we're looking at what are the frameworks or what are the rules of engagement at that point in time. And we quickly saw the reaction from central banks and governments that they would be doing whatever it took uh, to get this um, recovery or asset prices stabilised. So the moment we saw that, we became pretty well fully invested through that March, um, April period. And with the framework in mind of low interest rates, credit spreads, um, you know, really, really tight, we were able to invest in a, a few thematics in a few places in the market. I guess the strongest thematic that we played was through iron ore, which is really a play on China. What China do is when they get in trouble, they really pull the lever domestically, and that is through property and infrastructure. So when we saw this happen, we were watching the credit data monthly, and it was beating by a large amount. So we were very confident on the iron ore position, and we took this position through companies like Fortescue, Rio, and BHP. And through crisis, you always get amazing opportunities. So we were seeing companies, we were running screens on companies through various metrics, and generating files to look at. And companies that came up through that period were, were things like Star Group, Center Group, 
stock land. Some of these companies were trading at levels not seen since 1991, and some were well below their net tangible assets. So you get tremendous opportunities throughout those periods. Towards the back half of the year in 2020 was really a change in the framework or the fundamentals. We were positioned um, ahead of this. So our quarter in October, we were slightly ahead of the market, but we were positioned for this transition in frameworks, and that's what I'm calling this year of 2021, a year of transitions. We will transition away from the fiscal and monetary strong positive impulses. We'll transition away from free money and tight credit spreads. So it's going to be a rough journey, but we're still quite um, positive on the equity markets. And, and the reason is equity markets are driven by financial conditions, whether they're loose or they're tight. And we're still in historically loose conditions. So all in all, 2021 should be a positive year for equities, but it will be a year of transitions. And the transitions, like I touched on, are around interest rates and spreads as we return back to normal. So the way we position uh, for this is through stocks and sectors like financials, uh, energy, and a few of those more cyclical names as we return to a more normal environment. But um, all in all, really constructive. Um, our cash level is around 2% in the portfolio. We're seeing lots of opportunities and we remain confident uh, we're on a recovery path and we're trying to invest in, in this new framework. Now, if I look um, as well, like just like to take this opportunity to introduce the new member of our team as well, um, Anna Milne, who's sitting next to me. Um, Anna joins us from um, some really high-rated investment banks and analysts um, she worked under. So she worked at Credit Suisse under the number one insurance-ranked analyst and then also UBS Healthcare Analyst, also number one rated. So, Anna, it's a pleasure to have you on the team, and we're really excited about the opportunity going forward too. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure to be here, and I'm not only excited by the opportunity, but more importantly, honoured with the responsibility in assisting you and John in managing our shareholders' capital. So thank you so much. No, it's great. Great to have some more resources on board too and uh, um, utilise that going forward as well. That's right, and, and particularly, and particularly um, you know, getting uh, females, which which we know are better are better investors than males. And uh, like to me, to me, one of the most bizarre things is you know, all all the analysis shows that you know, females are better investors. But you look at the majority of fund managers are males. Like it's 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 crazy. But um, yeah, so it's it's great to have you. And, and we're expecting big things from you, Anna. Yeah, you know, like. No. From, from the board's perspective, and I'm, I'm sure from all shareholders' perspective, we're expecting big things from you. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. Now, in terms of just looking, looking the next, yeah, looking forward, Matt, do you want to cover that, or is Johnny, well, or Johnny, do you want to cover off sort of what we're looking at over the next six months, or? Um... Yeah, I can cover that. Thanks, Jeff, and thanks, Matt, and welcome, Anna. Um, just from a portfolio positioning standpoint, we've long spoken about having a balanced approach. And I guess given where we are, at, uh, given where we are in the market at the moment, we're more confident that we're at an inflection point, which has led us to be more fully invested and also more concentrated in the sectors and segments of the market that we're focused on today. In the past, you've heard us talk about sectors like gold, defensives such as Coles, Woolworths, 
um, some of the bond proxies like TCL, Sydney Airports, as, as, as defence mechanisms, defence uh, stocks in our portfolio. Where we find ourselves today is we've certainly pivoted away from those stocks and we've taken more cyclical, more financial and more commodity bets, more growth commodity bets for the, for the outlook for the next six to 12 months. We see that the next two to three years, we're going to see some serious EPS growth from cyclical stocks, particularly financials, where you know, credit conditions remain, um, remain favourable. Uh, cost discipline remains uh, very much a focus of the domestic banks. And I'll, I'll leave the banks for the moment because I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on those during Q&A. Um, but some segments, some sectors that we really like at the moment, um, you know, a stock that we've spoken about before is Senna Group, where we're still buying that at 30 to 40% discount to NTA. And people are forgetting that once we return to normal, and we will return to normal, um, people will visit shopping centres again. And what we've seen from traffic data in, in places like WA, that not only do people return to shopping centres, they return more so than previously. Another interesting element that we've been focusing on is, is, is global uh, property investor Blackstone. What we've seen them do is actually divest uh, assets which are on much higher multiples in the logistics space and start focusing on buying high-quality Tier 1 retail malls in countries like um, Korea and in China where online penetration is much higher than Australia. So when people talk about structural risk, we, we, are, we are cautious of structural risk, but what we see is that there will be a focus on these top-tier assets such as the ones that Senna Group have. And what we think is that this is, the Senna Group is significantly undervalued. Their cash collection, their rent collection, their link to inflation, all these elements bode really well for a re-rating of this stock for the next six to 12 months. Other sectors and other stocks that we like, and we remain favourable towards commodities. Um, we've, long, we've been long iron ore for a very long time, but what we've been doing is rotating away from iron ore names and starting to put some more growth commodities within the portfolio. And one such stock that we, we've liked and we've, we added sometime towards the middle of last year, and we've continued to increase our weighting there, is Independence Group. Now, Independence Group is pivoting towards becoming the, the, clean, energy, um, the clean energy commodity stock within the ASX. They've recently purchased, and they'll, and, they'll, and they'll complete on this transaction in June, uh, on an asset in WA called Greenbushes, which is one of the highest quality hard rock lithium assets in the world. Um, they've also got uh, nickel, um, which obviously is in short supply globally, but their exploration program is certainly geared towards nickel. And they're also looking towards their exploration program in copper. They're undertaking uh, divestment of their gold assets in Tropicana. So as we as we start looking forward, they're going to be certainly cashed up with a great exploration program with some tier one assets uh, linked to take advantage of the the, the global push for uh, clean energy. Uh, so clean technology. So you know in, in in EVs and the like. So we're really positive around IGO um, and some other sectors that we remain positive on is uh, oil and gas. Now. Oil and gas suffered materially, and what we saw over the last 12 months, we'll probably never see again with negative oil prices. But, you know, people, what, what we've seen is the cartel, the OPEC cartel, really hold hands, and their, and their economies are really linked to the, the well-being of oil. So the amount of capex that has gone towards the oil and gas space globally um, has, has fallen off a cliff. So that will take some significant time for it to catch up. And with that backdrop, we think as demand returns, as air travel returns, as, as people start continue to drive from place to place, 
We think Santos, Woodside, and all search, all three are going to be well well positioned to capitalise on the rebound, the continuing rebound in oil prices. Uh, of those, our, our preferred play is Santos, given the cost discipline that Kevin Gallagher and his team have instilled in that business. But the one that's got the most leverage, and we continue to, um, to continue to watch, is oil search, given their exposure to PNG and some of the political risks and, and the political risk abatement that's taking place in those markets. Um, yeah, with that, um, a couple of healthcare names we continue like are Ramsey and Sonic. Um, you know, Sonic is a is a is a COVID beneficiary, but equally, the, given the balance sheet strength that they they will enjoy from from the COVID test that they've been undertaking. We see them as a significant player in M&A going forward and they should grow via acquisition. So we continue like Sonic and Ramsey Healthcare, um, as we all start to return to elective surgeries, their balance sheet is really robust and we can see good organic growth coming through over the next two to three years. So that's basically uh, the way that we constructed the portfolio going forward. We're very positive towards cyclicals, financials uh, and growth commodities. Um, And with that, I'll pass back to Jeff and we probably head into Q&A. Great. And thanks, um, John, and maybe actually just before we go to Q&A, and like you mentioned, uh, position in the financials and you, know, you, you talked about the banks, uh, yeah, maybe a question you know, for um, you know, Johnny yourself or Matt, the, you know, what is your view on the bank sector? And just, just looking over, over the period that um, you know, WAM Leaders has been operating, you know, at various points in time, you know, you've had you know, no exposure to the banks. You've been significantly under overweight the banks. You've been underweight the banks. You know, to me, one of the great things about WAM Leaders is you've got a, a team that's looking at the top end of the market, uh, and and it's not like um, you know most fund managers that are up in that top end. You know, they they sort of don't really make big calls. So just on that, um, you know, Matt or um, do you want to, or Johnny, do you want to talk about the, you know, what your view on the banks and um, and how you'd be positioned in those banks? Sure, I'll touch on that, Jeff. So um, you're right. Like we in, in the WAM Leaders portfolio, we can really swing around in the banks, and you've seen that quite a quite a lot over the history. Um, we're very positive on the Australian banks at the moment. Uh, the reason why is we think they overprovided during the pandemic. So they set all their provisions back in March of last year uh, at the depths of the pandemic. So um, as you've seen, economic growth has been upgraded maybe three or four times post that. And when we discuss this with the banks, the, their outlook is improving as well through their own economists. So you'll see a natural unwind of these provisions. Uh, their capital positions are overcapitalized. So you'll see capital management this year either through higher dividends or buybacks. Um, and also, I think the, the real key now is um, the net interest margin. So we're of the opinion that the RBA will walk away from their three-year yield curve control, um, which has set the three-year rate at 10 basis points. If the RBA walk away from this, which we think they will in June, all of a sudden you'll start to get positive tailwinds on their replicating portfolios. So... In our book, everything is moving in favour of those financial companies. Um, They have got many, many tailwinds, which will start happening around April, May, June of this year. They still have some slight negatives, but I think the market will start looking through this now. Um, So in my view, I think CBA can do a a really big off-market buyback. They've got about $2.5 of franking they can return to shareholders. 
I think this will be done later in the year. Um, I think NAB will do an on-market buyback. They have the capacity there. Uh, Westpac is probably in the lightest capital position, but um, even those guys will be in a fairly strong position by the end of the year once they get through all their remediation. So very much positive on the sector. Uh, we're overweight. We're about 450 basis points overweight. Uh, those four banks and the financial sector were around 10% overweight, the financial sector, when you look at um, the ASX 200 benchmark. So all in all, very constructive on this sector. And I'll, I think you'll start to see a lot of capital flow back to these companies. And, hey, just well, while we've got you, Matt, and, hey, congratulations being quoted on the front page of the AFR. Mm-hmm. Um and um, yeah, under the head, uh, under the, um, the the article RBA to set off raging bull markets. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the uh, do you just want to talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, you know, sort of the your quote there. Well, I, I guess it back in November we made a similar quote around their QE, like that. It really the the RBA is so fixated on the Australian dollar. So back in November, they launched this uh, QE announcement to try and suppress the Australian dollar. That time it worked for about five minutes and then the Australian dollar rallied post that because what they're doing is they're stimulating right at the end of a recovery. So they're doing QE when Australia was actually accelerating out of this and now they're extending QE when the vaccines are rolled out globally. There's too much liquidity in the Australian economy anyway. You can see this in the RBA exchange settlement accounts with the banks. The 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 30-day rate banks borrow on is negative to the overnight rate. So there's an indifference on time horizon because there's too much liquidity. So the RBA are launching QE, you know, taking longer duration and putting it to cash at totally the wrong time. This should have been done in March of last year. I just and they're they're really fixated on the Australian dollar. Again, they make comments. So they're really trying to, in my view, in our view, trying to target the Aussie dollar by a very indirect method of, of QEs and interest rates. So I think they're missing the mark and I think they're, they're promoting um, the ingredients for an overheated economy, in, in my view. And Gotcha. So in theory, by, by focusing on trying to drop the Aussie dollar, which in theory would be stimulatory to the economy, they're pumping liquidity in when, you know, when we've got enough and we're recovering and so they'll end up yeah, just just creating creating a problem somehow. You can already see the ingredients when they hike into this and cause the next crash. Um, yeah. Central banks always go late and go hard, so you can already see the ingredients. They're laying mm. down the ingredients for a, a, a crash later on. It might be two or three years away, um, yeah. but they want the heat and then they'll start hiking into this. So mm. um, I'm just a bit sceptical of, of the timing of this. Uh, in March of last year, it'd make 100% sense, but um, yeah. right here, right now, it just feels like you're targeting the wrong thing. Yeah. Okay. But but the great thing is, hey, you know, we can, ta- you know, we can, we can, yeah, all it does is provide opportunities, doesn't it? Well, the great thing is hard assets go and buy a boat, buy, buy a house. Uh, <laughs> well, mate, maybe not a boat. Maybe not a boat. Yeah. <laughs> I always yeah. understood cars and boats, you know, depreciating assets. We don't want them. Yeah, they're not <laughs> the greatest uh, assets. Maybe, maybe a house then. And, um, 
Yeah. Okay, Matt. Look, look. Thanks for that, and yeah, you know, thanks for your your thoughts, everyone. Why don't we um, pass over to our head of our corporate affairs, you know, James McNamara? And I know James has been feeling the questions. One, yeah, you know, the questions that people have sent him beforehand. Um, yeah, you know, anyone who wants to ask a question now, um, and later on, um, it, the people that are on the phone will um, take some questions just before the end from them. So, James, I'll pass over to you now. Thanks. Thanks very much, Jeff. First question is for uh, for Matt and John. It's from Mary. Excellent numbers for the half year. Well done and thank you. What were some of the notable positions that didn't play out? Oh, the failures, hey? Failures. I can start there if you want, Matt. Yeah, you, you kick off. I'm sure I'll come up with another one. Uh, <laughs> I guess... The one that sticks in my mind is uh, Western Areas. Um, coming to the last day of uh, October, they came out with their quarterly and, you know, we kind of got a little fixated with um, some of their exploration assets and potential exploration results that were going to come through. Uh, and we dropped the ball and didn't really focus on the, the current uh, production outlook and um, what we faced was a, a production downgrade uh, a cost blowout and sent the share price down 25%, 26% on the day, um, which was a nice way to finish the quarter. Uh, and subsequently, they also, um, you know, they, they downgraded the, the last quarter as well. But, you know, fortunately, it uh, led to an opportunity. We, we rotated out of Western Areas at the time and put money into Independence Group. And that was rather timely from that perspective because we got in just before they acquired Greenbushes. So that's probably one that sticks out. And the other one that probably sticks out is more around the tech sector. Um, you know, given a lot of the dislocation that took place between March um, and May, you know, we, we, we bought a lot of uh, quality companies at discounts to book value, um, but we probably ignored uh, somewhat to our peril, um, you know, stocks like, you know, WiseTech and, um, uh, and the like. We just didn't participate in buying any of those things that have been up a hell of a lot. So we, we did buy some REA and... Um, and those things, but you know, given the re-rating that uh, the tech sector has has it certainly had since um, you know those, the depths of March, it's probably something that we've missed out on. And on reflection, we probably shouldn't have. Yeah, and I've got one now that I think about it. Um, it's QBE. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, the well, giving or taking. Well, taking, taking, giving, and then taking just as quickly. Um, but the, the, the history of Own Goals, the company, and, um, again, we were pretty heavily invested um, and then they lost their CEO, so the stock fell 10% quite sharply and it hasn't recovered since, uh, despite um, the backdrop being incredibly strong. So we still own QBE in a decent manner, but that was one where it really hurt because it was a, a decent position and uh, stock down 10% on the day. Thanks, guys. I'll stay with you, John. Um, this next question is from Don. Regardless of what people like Jeremy Grantham say, it's clear that markets have had extended valuations and not to say some very hard-to-explain stock values. As a somewhat basic investor, how should I prepare my finances for life after current drivers evaporate? Um I think, Don, if, if, we, if we all take our investment advice from Reddit, we would have been uh, doing rather well this, this financial year. But I guess 
that's that, therein lies the dilemma. Um, Matt mentioned earlier around uh, the liquidity that's available in the system and and the lack of fundamental regard to valuation. Uh, what we've seen is people really ignore valuations, earnings, cash flow, and focusing on top line, TAM, and all these new buzzwords, which really don't pay uh, pay your dividends or cash flow going forward. And I guess. What we need to see is, you know, inflation start coming into the market, rates start to go up, that excess um, supply of cash in the world start to dissipate, and then we can actually start returning to fundamentals uh, and valuation. When that happens, hopefully it's soon. Um, you know, there's been a, a stack of talk about um, the rotation from value to growth. In our view, that that's the wrong way to look at it, and there hasn't been a rotation yet with tech still at all-time highs. You know, people aren't really focused on what free money means to these valuations. And once that, that liquidity dries up, I'd be really cautious around owning these things that people think are going to grow into, into perpetuity, which they won't. Uh, and for us, we look at, as Matt said, buying some hard assets, buying some quality companies that generate good cash flow through the cycle, and hence why our portfolio is tilted towards financials, uh, cyclicals, and, and, and some certain commodities at the moment. Thanks very much, John. We've got a question, um, perhaps best answered by Anna. Um, what is your view on healthcare on the healthcare sector in light of new strains of the coronavirus and the rollout of vaccines globally? We've also had a few questions for our views on uh, on CSL. So perhaps if you could cover that off as well, Anna. Yeah, sure. So um, as we enter this transitory phase back to a more normal world, and the announcements of new strains continue to create noise, we are monitoring a number of indicators on a daily basis, such as vaccination rates. COVID testing rates, hospitalizations, and mobility data, to name a few, uh, just so that when we see any changes, we're ahead of the curve as the sentiment changes. So given the technology and mRNA vaccines and the ability to reset the shot every six weeks to counter any new strain, we don't believe that these new strains are significant cause for concern at the moment. CSL is actually the most highly debated stock in the healthcare space currently. It is under market significantly since the onset of COVID and has been weighed down by concerns around the ability and willingness to donate plasma in the US and what this means for sales over the coming years. Part of the business is the flu vaccine business, plus their involvement in the manufacturing of 50 million AstraZeneca COVID vaccines for Australia. So while on evaluation versus growth basis, as screens is pretty cheap versus its Australian healthcare pairs, this is a stock that at the moment is driven by news flow around collection rates, and it's something that we're monitoring every day to make sure we're on the right side of it come a re-rate over the coming months that we expect. Thanks very much, Anna. Um, Jeff, the next question's from you, and it's from Greg. Thank you. Thanks for your great work, Jeff and team. What do you believe have been the factors in some LICs and WAM companies in particular moving from discount to premium in the market? Um, well, thanks, Greg. And with with listed investment companies, I've been studying listed investment companies for I'm just trying to think thirty or yeah, I've been aware of them for forty years, but yeah, studying them seriously for about thirty years. Um, and and there's there's really four factors that a listed investment company now needs to achieve to um, you know, really trade at NTA, if not a premium. Yeah, you know, one is to perform. Now, second is to provide a, a growing stream of fully frank dividends. Um, third is to treat shareholders with respect. And, um, and, and what I mean by that is 
you know, there's been companies historically like, you know, go back four or five years, Temple and Global did a, a placement at a big discount to NTA, which was negative for shareholders. Um, yeah, so it's trying to work out. And, I mean, Contango uh, Income Fund did one uh, more recently, and that was sort of part of the catalyst for us you know, bidding for it. It was really appalling what the board did there to shareholders in terms of diluting them. Um, and then uh, then the fourth thing is, and probably the, the one that a lot of people don't get right, is really you've got to engage with shareholders. Just, just like when we buy shares in a company, you know, we want to understand exactly the drivers for that company. So, so the more that we can communicate or, or the more that the management team can communicate with their shareholders so they know exactly what's going on, the more confident those shareholders have in the company and then they're more likely they are to be, um, to, 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 uh, be supporters of, of what the company's trying to do. Uh, and so we, we spend a lot of time on shareholder engagement um, yeah, like today, um, you know, communicating with shareholders. And, and please, if any shareholders have any questions, you know, send them in you know, either by the email or, or, or ring into the office um, because, as I said, it, it is your company. Uh, and then also have not only a shareholder engagement and you know, strategy around that, it is a, 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 a marketing and communication strategy as well, um, you know, which – which we have. And, and in terms of the resources, you know, there's a good article in the Financial Review a couple of days ago, you know, the back page, Chanticleer, you know, Tony Boyd wrote. Um, and, and I was explaining to him, he was saying, look, why are some LICs trading at discounts? And so yours are trading at premiums and the like. Um, we, we actually commit a significant amount of, the, you know, the management fees in terms of trying to do all those, you know, the, 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 those, sorry, the last things. Of course, everyone's trying to perform with the money and provide the fully frank dividends, but it, it's really you know, having a board that's committed to looking after shareholders and, and really focusing on that engagement. Now, you know, he quoted a figure of, you know, we, we spend you know, $2 million plus. And that's of, um, you know, sort of a, a, our money uh, in terms of, um, you know, doing that. So, to me, it's really the, the fourth one that a lot of people lose and, and, and don't do. And, and smaller LICs, it's harder. Uh, and then uh, larger LICs, it depends where they fit. Now, if they're part of a big organisation, then then they mightn't get much in the way of resources. So, um, yeah, that's that's very crucial. Thanks, James. I'm Greg for the question. Thanks very much, Jeff. And, and just staying on that same theme, we've got a question from Sarah. Some of the large gap LICs, uh, like AFEC, have haven't performed as well as WAM leaders recently. Why is that? Is it just the period, or is it a different investment approach? Perhaps Jeff, you start with that, and then Matt. Yeah, you well, well, maybe, actually, maybe I'll, I'll I'll touch it. Yeah, maybe we won't. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave Matt out of it because it, it like effectively. Yeah, you don't want to talk about your competitors in theory. Now, obviously, it's a question, and in terms of um, you know, the the, the Apex and the Argos and Milton, they have a, they have an investment style, and they have a great investment style, investment process. Um, you know, in terms of, um, and over time, they've performed well, and they've got you know very little. You know, if you're going to, you're better off putting your money in them if you can buy them at a discount to NTA rather than in an ETF because they're. 
to me there, um, you know, you've got the overlay of, you know, management looking to perform uh, and you've got costs, you know, 0.13 or uh, 0.12 of a percent, you know, um, very low costs. Where WAM leaders, obviously, you know, we charge a 1% management fee. It's um, it's um, more. Um, but, you know, in terms of where we're, we're focusing on outperforming by significantly more than 1%. And you know, since inception, you know, we've outperformed by more than 4%. So, you know, that, that investors have got, you know, a multiple um, benefit of that um, of that management fee. And, and in terms of how the money's managed, you know, the um, WAM leaders is a um, is is not a buy and hold investor. You know, is a very active, um, you know, very focused. Um, you know, when things change, you know, the the guys will change the portfolio very quickly. Um, you know, and and really are trying to focus and get you know take the minimum amount of risk and take the maximum amount of return. Um, and because we're so close to the market, you know, then then we believe you know we can do that, and historically we've been able to do that. So yeah, you know, let's let's hope we can continue to perform that way. Excellent, thanks very much, Jeff. Um, John, I'll direct the next question to you. It's from Will McInnes with the AFR. Will there be a rebound in earnings this season, or will, will we have to wait? Um, I think. Reporting season's already kicked off pretty well. So most of the companies that have come out um, have, sh- have printed some pretty strong numbers. I guess most of those uh, are with the backdrop of the COVID beneficiary names, particularly the names like JB Hi-Fi and Nick Scarly and even News Corp this morning uh, being material beneficiaries. I guess more to the point, what, Will, you're probably trying to get at is, you know, what does the shape of earnings look like broadly this time and what does it look like going forward? And I guess from our perspective... One of the things that's happened over the last 12 months, and there's that old saying, you never waste a crisis, and corporate Australia has actually, uh, for the most part, done that. And what we've seen is uh, a rebasing of cost bases across the street. So from that perspective, we may not see that top-line growth that that we saw uh, uh, in, in 2019 or 2018, but the bottom line should come in uh, a, a little more resilient than previously. So... What that equals is, you know, you look forward to this time next year or the year after, we should start seeing some material EPS growth because of the cost discipline um, that corporate Australia has actually instilled during um, the last 12 months. And as revenues start to grow again, as we start to cycle some really weak numbers, uh, the top lines of cyclical start to start to accelerate. Sure, there will be some costs coming back into the businesses. However, um, the memories will still be long enough to ensure that it doesn't get out of hand. So, we're probably more optimistic around the outlook for, for earnings uh, this time next year um, versus right now, but you'll start to see the discipline that corporate Australia has actually instilled in, into, their, into their companies. Thanks, John. And just staying with you, um, how do you think that's going to translate to uh, dividend announcements this earnings season as well? That's something obviously at the front of our mind for a lot of our investors. Look, we... Boards will remain cautious, I'd suspect. Um, uh, you know, I think... Yeah, with the outlook of, you know, we still haven't seen the vaccine fully rolled out. Uh, we still, we're still seeing material headlines from the US and the UK around the weaknesses of those economies. I think it'd be prudent for boards uh, to kind of hold back some of those dividends. And again, it's probably more likely to see an acceleration in the back half of this year, potentially hoard a little bit more cash to accelerate M&A and growth. 
um, as the recovery starts to take shape. So I think from that standpoint, I think dividend growth will be benign right now, but again, acceleration to the back half of this year and certainly into next year. Thanks very much, John. And, and Matt, if I can turn to you, this question is, has come through from Chris. What are your views on BHP and Rio Tinto given the drop in iron ore this week? Uh, thanks for the question, Chris. Um, iron ore fell uh, the other week predominantly due to some tightness in the uh, financial conditions within China. Um, last week, at the end of last week and this week, China actually stepped back into that market and provided conditions a bit um, easier. So iron ore has rallied um, over the last few days. I was just checking it before and it's up again today. So I think it was due to those seasonal factors um, and conditions. I think BHP versus uh, Rio, um, prefer BHP. I think Rio, there's some risk around their production targets. Um, their 360 million tonne target, I think, is at risk over time. Um, so for me, BHP... And when, when you look at the iron ore market, Vale, which was the reason why it spiked, um, you know, about 18 months ago, almost uh, two years ago, um, that is still playing out. Vale keep missing their production guidance, and that was evidence again this week. So iron ore market will remain tight, still expecting $120 to $140 a tonne uh, over the next couple of years. Um, but we're really watching the, the one thing to watch is the China total social social financing data coming out in February, uh, so in the next week. Um, that will be key to see how they respond because there is talk China will wind down some of the stimulus this year. Um, January is normally a huge month due to Chinese New Year. Um, so that's really a bellwether for the rest of the year. So we're actually positive, but we're waiting for that data to come out to form our opinion or cement our opinion. But, um, yeah, BHP over Rio. Um, due to um, more favourable um, commodities in the BHP portfolio. Thanks very much, Matt. And just staying with commodities, we've had a, uh, a couple of follow-up questions on, on your commentary, John, about um, your positive outlook for growth commodities. Could you just uh, talk, us through, talk us through what exactly is a growth commodity and, um, and, and just reference your views there? I'll, I'll, no, thanks, James. Um, simply put, it's just commodities that are leveraged to, to global growth and, and improving global GDP. So you know, commodities like copper, nickel, um, around consumer consumption, uh, around construction activity, um, those, are the, those are the commodities we refer to about growth commodities, so things that are linked to global growth. Thanks very much, John. Staying with you, we've had a question from Michelle on uh, Telstra. Is there any future in TLS? Well, if you if you ask um, if you ask Andy Penn, he says that he sees the future being very bright. Um, I guess Telstra is one of those stocks that polarizes the market. And I guess you know in the low threes for us, uh, there is a future there. Um, the infrastructure assets effectively underpin uh, Telstra right here, right now. So what they need to, what they are embarking upon, is an asset uh, asset realization program. So, you know, we, we've long heard about their cost out program, which they're halfway through. But what they're trying to do is make people realize the value in their assets that they have within their portfolio. Um, and those assets are like the towers, so the, the the transmission towers that are located across the country. So if you look at some of their global comps, uh, these are highly desired assets trading on some extreme multiples. Um, so what Telstra are trying to do is sell some of that 
some of the telco towers to get a look through valuation on that part of their portfolio. Um, they're also rationalizing some of their um, their property portfolio. So what they'll do is they'll continue to sell down uh, surplus property um, to realize some cash. So from that perspective, you know, it's breaking up the organization to various parts for the market to realize um, that there is some embedded uh, valuation there. I guess the the biggest headwind they face is from an earnings perspective um, and from a competitive dynamic standpoint. And they've done they've done well from um, to retain their market share and their market leadership in that premium end uh, of the mobile markets and also the broadband markets. Um, and we continue to expect that to stay the same. Um, but they need they certainly need global travel to start coming back to fill some of that earnings holes. Uh, and you need discipline from Vodafone and Optus to remain in the market for earnings recovery to take shape. So you've probably got some valuation support from an asset standpoint. Do we see it running away from an earnings standpoint? Unlikely. Thanks very much, John. We'll take one more question from the webinar set before we open the telephone lines. Uh, we, we've got a few callers there, so we'll um, we'll pause there and come back to the webinar if, if there are no questions. So if anyone on the line has a question, please, uh, please just have that ready. Um, next question is for Matt. So inflation in New Zealand has returned faster than expected. Are you concerned about an inflation surprise in Australia? Uh, this is one of the, the hottest debates in, in the industry at the moment. Are we going to get a repeat of QE, uh, sorry, the GFC, where there was no inflation, or are we going to return to a, a state of higher inflation? We are definitely going to get transitory inflation, which is the pickup post the fall-off uh, in economic demand, and you're seeing that, like you mentioned, New Zealand there. Um, this week, South Korea surprise, UK surprise, You've got a lot of changing uh, deltas, so oil will start to hit inflation in Q2, Q3, Q4 of this year. You've got wage inflation, which will start to pick up at the back end of this year. But everything says we are going to get inflation. The debate, is it transitory or is it more uh, longer term? Um, At the moment, we don't have to distinguish between the two because we know inflation will come through. And that will impact markets. So we can position for that without having a really strong view on whether it's actually transitory or longer term. But we will develop our view. Um, It'd be hard to argue against history after we saw post-GFC where inflation didn't return. There is argument there's too much debt in the world. And if inflation picks up and nominal rates pick up, the debt load will be too high and the impulse from increased interest rates, uh, interest costs, will suppress growth. So is is that argument? So I think it's too early to call whether we're going to a structurally higher period of inflation, but we definitely will have a pickup in inflation and transitory, and we will position, and we have positioned for that right now. Thanks very much, Matt. So we'll now just turn to the uh, operator to open the telephone lines. And for the phone audience, to ask a question, you can do so by pressing the star key followed by the digit one on your touchdown telephone. A voice prompt on your phone line will indicate your line is open. Again, that is star one, and we'll pause for a moment to assemble our queue. Again, for the phone audience, that is star one to ask the question.
And we'll take our first call question. Uh, this is this is Ken here. Uh, well done, fellas. Keep it up. I've been with you for a long time, and I'm going to be with you for a long time yet. Have fantastic results. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out in the sticks a bit, and the phone and the uh, and the internet cut out all the time. Could you just match? Uh, I I picked up on the uh, on the four banks that you you said you're overweight in, but I. I missed most of it. Could you possibly repeat that, please? Sure. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for the support. Um, so our largest position in the Aussie banks at the moment is National Australia Bank, NAB. The, in, if you're talking about overweight and Bank of Queensland on a, on a relative call, it's not a big position in the portfolio, but we've got a, a, a decent weight in Bank of Queensland. And then the next biggest one, as far as overweight, underweight on benchmark, um, would be ANZ. So they are the, the biggest um, in terms of overweights versus benchmark. Okay, CBA has been going up in market price quite a bit lately. So where, where do you think they sit? Yeah, CBA was a bigger position. We've been lightening that to fund some of the other banks because it's had a great run. Um, it was approaching almost back to all-time highs, so we recycled a bit of CBA into Westpac, which had been lagging CBA by about 25%. So there was a big valuation or big performance spread between the two, and that's the only reason why we lightened CBA. CBA is probably the, the best bank, the best franchise, but is the most expensive um, up here. Okay, thanks, fellas. Keep up the good work. You're, uh, you're making my retirement very happy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And as a final reminder, that is star one, if you'd like to ask a question. Okay, looks like we don't have any more questions on the line, so I'll just go back to the webinar set. Uh, this question is from Andrew. Is, uh, is, is WAM Leaders significantly undervalued compared to AFIC and Argo as they both trading at bigger premiums and have lower yields? Jeff, that's, uh, that's for you, that one. Okay, no, no, thanks, and thanks, Andrew. Thank you for your support. Um, I know you've been a, a, a big supporter of WAM leaders and um, and I, I know you've been consistently um, communicating with me how puzzled you are that uh, <laughs> the WAM leaders is performing so well and um, and in a relative sense you are know, looking at African Argo uh, which I think Afric's trading at about a Nearly a twelve percent premium to NTA, and Argo um, nearly um, an eight percent premium to NTA, and I think the AFIC yields you know three point one percent fully franked, and the Argo yields about three point four percent fully franked. So then you, you've got WAM leaders, which is trading at a you know three or four percent premium to NTA, uh, and is giving you a yield of five percent fully franked. And in terms of as you know the other. Um, and one of our other investors pointed out, um, you know, that in terms of performance over the last period, um, 
you know, that, that WAM leaders is, um, you know, is, is outperformed um, those entities. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, like it does look like that is is the case. Um, yeah, that, that relatively, um, you know, WAM leaders does does look cheap you know, compared to those two. Um, and uh, you, you've got to remember also, uh, and that WAM leaders is life. It's you know, it's nearly five years into its life where you know, African Argo have been going for a significantly long period of time. And one of the things that is very, you know, one of the things I've been aware of in terms of, you know, listed investment companies trading at premiums is the longer you're listed, the, the sort of the more settled your share register is. So there tends not to be, there tends to be less selling um, because everyone who's there is sort of understands what the company does and is very happy with what they've delivered. You know, I mean, hence you know the comments from Ken. Um, you know, when, when when all your shareholders are like that, then effectively there's not many people selling. So um, and if you continue to provide good yield and and good performance, then you'll find that people will end up paying um, above NTA. You know, like we love buying a dollar of assets for 90 cents, 80 cents if we can or less. Um, and, and, you know, John with one of his you know, stocks he was giving you, you know, again, was giving you a, a real value play. Um, and so, you know, to me, over time, you know, those share registers tighten up and those, um, you know, you really don't need much buying to you know, push those companies to uh, premium. So, yeah, we would hope that um, you know Wham Leaders stays at a premium, if not, you know, goes to a larger premium. Uh, particularly as as you, Andrew, you very uh, smartly pointed out. You know, you look at the comparatives in the comparatives in the market. Thanks very much, Jeff and Matt. The next question's uh, from Peter, and he's asking for our view on on the insurers IAG and Sun Suncorp. Uh, thanks, Peter. Um, IAG is one of our larger positions, and we also own QBN and Suncorp. I mean, the primary reason why we're in these companies is they've had uh, two negative events hit them. Their investment income has been decimated, and also business insurance caused by the, the global pandemic. So when businesses are forced to close their doors, there is an argument going through the courts now that they insurers have to cover their losses. So um, they have really been uh, hit hard um, as these have come through their, uh, throughout the year. So there is um, uh, this 2021, there'll still be claims coming through for business insurance, but they've all provided for them now. And we think IAG in particular has been the most conservative with these provisions. So we think no matter what happens this year, they will be covered. There will be messy results. But those things I talk about as as negatives are going to turn positive. So investment income will start to lift up in 2021 and 2022, and business insurance will will dissipate and go back to very very normal levels. And going forward, their policies are reworded, so this won't hurt them again. So again, it's it's very myopic by the market to focus on this one term hit by business insurance. It is a one term hit. We don't put a multiple on this. We think the franchises are intact. They will trade through this and they have the balance sheets to trade through this. So we're quite positive. It's just going to take a bit of time for these stocks to re-rate, but 
um, very positive on this sector. Thanks very much, Matt. And mindful of time, we'll take our last question. Um, this is from David and John. I'll direct it to you. What is your what's your outlook on 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 uh, on Qantas and and that sector more broadly? Uh, thanks, David, and thanks, James. Um, you, you found one of my favourite stocks there, David. So earlier I mentioned in corporate Australia not uh, wasting a crisis, and Qantas is probably the uh, poster boy of that um, of that analogy. And I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, what it's meant is that a lot of um, a lot of employees at, at Qantas have, um, have have lost their jobs, um, and what Qantas have been able to achieve over the last six months is something that no one ever really thought they would have been able to um, do um, in their history or in their future. So, being able to kind of disengage from the shackles of um, of, of union. Um, requirements and I don't say that lightly it's it's been a tough task and unions certainly have their place but what Qantas have been able to do is um, you know reposition their cost base particularly from baggage handler standpoint from an engineer standpoint and then moreover onto the cost base when it comes to uh, their, their their plane network and 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 require a lot of the um, aged more fuel consumption fleet and moving towards more fuel efficient, um, cheaper to run um, uh, aeroplanes. What what that's allowed them to do is be in a position going forward that they could have significantly less um, travellers on their planes, effectively, and make more money than what they would have in the past. So, and that is even if without international travel. So, I, I think by our estimates, if they return to around about seventy percent of their previous network in Australia. Uh, and have around about eighty percent of the same um, capacity on those on that seventy percent. They will make twenty percent more money. So I know it's a long way of saying it, but they're going to make a lot more money domestically than they ever had going forward. And even if uh, international never comes back, they're still going to make more money. So from that standpoint, you know the the outlook for Qantas is, is rosy from our perspective. And you know as we start to see you know the vaccine rollout and normalisation take place, you'll start seeing that leverage come through. Thanks very much, John, and thank you, Matt and Anna as well. Um, thank you to all shareholders who've uh, joined us for the call. I'll hand back to you now, Jeff, to close. Look, yeah, thank you. Um, and that's right, on, on behalf of all shareholders, I'd like to thank um, you know, Matt and Johnny and Anna for, for all your hard work and uh, thanks. You know, as a large shareholder in WAM Leaders, uh, um, myself and Ken and the rest of the group, you know, we're all benefiting. So you know, keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, and James, on your shareholder engagement and communication um, with your team, you know, well done, because um, you know, that really has helped uh, over, the, over this period. Uh, and thank you, all the shareholders. Um, you know, we are accessible. Um, you know, please, you know, Contact us if you have any questions, any any further questions. Now, as I said, it is your company, uh, and, and we we only get to do what we really enjoy because you, you know, support us and allow us to do it. So, yeah, thank you all for um, yeah you know, for for supporting us. Thanks.